And we're in the house here at the Hot Stove Society Kitchen on Cairo Radio. Thank you for joining us this week. We're here every week, Saturday and Sunday. Whether you catch us live or, or on the radio or whether you get us on a podcast, we're always here for you to help solve your dining dilemmas, your kitchen problems. And Chef, uh, you can take your mask off. I'm eight feet away from you. I forgot I wiped it down. There you go. My beautiful Hawaiian... Uh, we hope you're in your kitchen somewhere, in your garden, somewhere maybe on I-5, driving, going over the pass to eastern Washington, somewhere where you're Shoving thinking about snow. food and uh, enjoying your day. Uh, we have a large show today, peak of the season, uh, peppy pomegranates are going to join us in one of our segments. You love pomegranate, Chef? I love pomegranate, especially the seeds. <laughs> I actually prefer them as ornamentation. Oh, really? Yeah. And I kind of like it. I think they're really cool dried, too. Uh, an extraordinary baker is going to join us, Dory Greenspan. We're lucky to have her call in about her new book, Baking with Dory. Uh, we're going to do two segments with her, both the sweet and savory uh, Baking with Dory segments. Rachel Bell is here to talk to us about her popular podcast, Your Last Meal. Tell us all about uh, what she's having for Hanukkah. You know, uh, I'm not, I, I was brought up Catholic. I'm not a practicing anything. But my um, daughter and her husband are staying with us while their house is being remodeled, and I'm watching him nightly go through the Hanukkah process. Uh, who knew? I didn't. I did not know. I've never seen it before. All the candles. It's, a, it's and interesting. The pre- yeah. Yeah, and the presents and everything. Yeah. Who knew? It's a commitment, and and I think it's very cool, and it lasts seven days because it's not just a one-minute project. Yeah. I like that. Fish cakes. We're going to talk fish cakes. My favorite fish cakes, but they don't make them anymore. Is was down at Mutual Fish, those Japanese kind of oh, yeah. surimi cakes, and they are deluxe ones, always had a little bit of crab and green onion in them, and I used to like to slice, or just eat them as a snack, or just slice them and put them in a hot soup, uh, but now they don't, they don't make them oh, Wait a minute, say that again, you used to slice them and put them in a soup? Soup, yeah. Yeah, fish cakes. And it's uh, the 33rd holiday magic uh, for Treehouse with Cairo affiliation, so we're going to talk a bit about that. Uh, and finally, let's wrap up the show with our tasty rub with love, tasty trivia. What do you think about that, Chef? Are you feeling I strong I feel really today? good today, yeah. You do, huh? Because yeah. your wife's in the audience. Yes. And, Kathy's uh, here. My guess is you got, is here. Secrets, you got a secret signals worked out so that she can help you with the yeah, questions. Yeah, she's, she's going to be my phone line. Yeah. Your phone line? Your lifeline. <laughs> lifeline. <laughs> <laughs> that too. That too. All right, let's talk about your taste of the week. Let's jump right in uh, here. A porchetta, sand- a porchetta sandwich yesterday at Joyce on 27 and Union. Joyce has been on the show before, right? 28, yes, yeah. she has been on the show. If you go into that neighborhood, which is basically, it's called uh, Central City, basically Central Western District. Madrona? <laughs> Actually, probably it's called Madrona by now, CD yes. CD or something like that? I don't yeah, know what I mean, it's, it's, it's basically out of Madi- uh, south of Madison Valley, basically. Okay. It's where the... Uh, you know, Union, where the brown girl is and where all those guys are okay. now. Um, anyway, I went there a couple of days ago and had a uh, bruschetta sandwich that she made, the bruschetta, who she bought a half a pig and butchered the whole thing down and made mm-hmm. a bruschetta that was mm-hmm. fantastic. I mean, what so made it moist. Good? What made so it good? So what, the two things that made it great, not just good, was the crispiness of the skin. That's always a And key. she served some on the side, you know, some, some nice crispy. Just to you, to everybody. Oh, because she knew. Oh, <laughs> She's yeah. like, chef. Yeah, you got to be <laughs> Chef Thierry to get that kind of service. Well, no, I mean, there are a few extra pieces of skin, no matter how you do it. Right. So, you know, you give them to some, 
attendance. Let's just put it this way. There's extra pieces of meat. There's never extra skin. <laughs> That's right. There's always, it's always the first to go. There's no skin left yeah, over. It's always the first to go. <laughs> anyway, so I had that on the side, and then... Uh, she made that bruschetta with a beautiful chermoula. She has lots of fresh thyme, a little bit of olive, and uh, lots of olive oil, salt, uh-huh. salt, pepper. You know, and the chermoula was a little bit over-salted. So when she marinated it for a day, a uh, day and a half, she said, into the uh, bruschetta, into mm. the, the, poke, the bruschetta. Uh-huh. And uh, she roasted it super hot and, and then turned it down. And it was so nice and moist and delicious. What kind of bread was it served on? Uh, Grand Central um, baguette, but not, a, not the baguette. One of Grand Central's roll. Mm-hmm. Um, the ciabatta roll or something no, like that? No, it wasn't the ciabatta. It was a different one. I'm sorry, I don't remember. But um, like a baguette idea, country baguette. And, um, it was, and she toasted it really well. You know, she put Isn't it in that the key. She she put it in the oven first. She put the bread with yeah. a little butter on it yeah. in the oven. Well, that is such a key thing. With a little butter on the pork chair. <laughs> and olive oil. You know, you're not gonna die eating that sandwich, or you're gonna die eating that sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, it was super delicious. Oozing like a little. There's a little running on the fingers of that fat. You know, was remind people where her shop is again. So. 20, uh, it's MLK and Union, MLK basically. MLK and Union, okay. Yeah, on the southwest side of the street. On called, MLK or on Union? It's actually on both. Oh, okay. And her store is actually on Union because it's on the face of the building that's on Union. Okay. It's called Joyce Cafe, all and right. she has a deli as well. So if you want to buy a cut of meat, she does all her butchery. She does all kinds of different things, sauces, soups. She can buy some wine. You can buy a cheese tray. She has a huge, beautiful, huge collection of uh, charcuterie and and, um, and cheeses. So this time of year, it's a great place to go and, and you know buy your goodies from there and your your gift and all that stuff. Right. It's a great place to go for that, especially because it's all food and wine related. So <laughs> I remember uh, remember when she was on the show a few months ago. She's just a joy. She's really just. Uh, oh, she's. I know her name is Joyce. I don't mean it, it pun, punningly. Yeah. Uh, but she is just a. a, a a cheerful person to be around. Yes, and yeah. she has a. I mean, for many years she was doing a catering company, and then mm-hmm. she finally bring and mortar, brick and mortar at that uh, in that building. But I want I want to give her a, a push, and uh, you know, if you have any shopping to do that's related to uh, any food or wine, just give it a shot at Joyce over there. She's really okay. cool, and she does a great job. All right, my taste of the week, and I'm not trying to be a homer on this, but um, you know, Lola opened last month, and uh, I've desperately missed our maple sausage that we make there. Uh huh. Uh, and uh, I've had it now, I think it's been open for five weeks. I think I've had it five times. Uh, this morning I had it because I, you know, I work out now before the show on Friday mornings. And uh, you didn't know that, did you, Chef? No. I don't I'm, know if you've checked out my it's physique. It's not showing yet. My physique lately. But <laughs> I don't know if you checked, you like that? I don't know if you checked me <laughs> out. But uh, I've worked out twice now in the last 20 months. And so it's, <laughs> I'm starting to feel like I'm making some progress. Well, you know uh, what? It's two times more than I But have, here's so. the problem. When I get done working out, then I want to go eat sausage and, and toast. That's the problem. Yeah, it is a problem. You're more hungry when so, you finish. <laughs> my maples, the Lola pork sausage is dreamy. I just got to tell you, it's so good. And today I had it on toast with blueberry jam. Mmm. Mmm. Sweet mm, and savory. Combo. Look at you. What a combo. Oh, my God. That's my taste. <laughs> Talking of the week. about blueberry jam when we come back. And my to- suggestion, too, is, uh, you know, we're struggling with um, on weekends, right? We're too busy. So if you want to come try a Lola breakfast, try it during the week. It's much calmer. It's really nice. 
There's nobody downtown. <laughs> Especially this time of year. Up next, pomegranates. We're going to talk about how to use them, how to dry them, how to love them. Right here on the Hot Stove Society Show, Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. And we're back in the Hot Stove Society kitchen on Cairo Radio at the beautiful Hotel Andra in downtown Seattle, 4th and Virginia. Come and visit. Uh, it's all new. It's all new. Come take a staycation in downtown. And, and by the way, have lunch at Lola where you're doing that. Have lunch, have <laughs> breakfast, go, go down to the market. The market has been popping, yeah. uh, but it is wintertime, so get, do some Christmas shopping. Okay, so Thierry, um, you have some family joining us today. I have my lovely wife here mm-hmm. in the audience. Exactly. First time in 21 years. That she's come to the show. Oh, second time, sorry. <laughs> uh, did, she just, did she just flip you off or tell, say two? No, she said two. Oh, I thought she did She was actually else. saying peace. All right. <laughs> um, anyway, Kathy, you have a question for us fancy chefs here on the radio show. Yeah, just regarding pomegranates, uh, what's the best uh, way that you guys have found to get the seeds out of the pomegranate? Okay, there you go. There's our first question. We're going to spend this whole segment on pomegranates. And, uh, Chef, do you want to talk about that? How do you get the seeds out of the pomegranate? I know what I do. I gently roll the pomegranate on the counter, and mm-hmm. then I, make a, I take a knife and I make a hole on... Um, the top part of the uh-huh. pomegranate, and then I gently take the seeds out. And then I cut it in half when I'm done with that part, and then I finish the other half. Well, there you go. My trick I, got, I learned from Martha Stewart on the Martha Stewart Show when I was a guest on her show. She bangs that sucker with a rolling pin, and um, you know she'll cut it in half and then bangs it with a rolling pin on the, on yeah. the non-cut side, and they just fall out. Right. It's unbelievable. So, yeah, it was a little trick. Who knew? Wait, and wait. That's, that's Annie in the background cooking something. I'm not sure what that is. What about underwater? That's what I was taught. Underwater? Yeah. So they you, float you, like a cranberry, you mean? You smash it, and then you cut it in half, and then you put the whole thing underwater and dig them out, uh-huh. and all the seeds sink, Float. And the white stuff floats. Huh, oh, wow. Sounds like a good idea, too. It's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, and you've tried it, and it works. Multiple times. That's Pamela, our producer, jumping right in there on the mic. So you so. would have to dry them a little bit when you take them out of the yeah. water, obviously. Salad, I do it in my salad spinner in the sink so that it doesn't oh, yeah. continue to stain my cutting boards. <laughs> <laughs> wow. See, that's a great trick All not to put tricks. pomegranate juice everywhere. If I you mean, have a trick out there in our listening audience and you want to send it in, where do they send that to, Pamela, so that we can tell people next week? What our audience thinks about. Oh, I about. want them to uh, be right in touch with me. Pamela, Pamela H. Pamela at H at TomDouglas.com. There you go. And then you can tell us your trick on how to get the seeds out of the pomegranates. Here's well, my the, thought, though. It's like, why bother? Just cut it in half, <laughs> put it on a juicer, and squeeze that sucker, and you have the most beautiful pomegranate juice. I don't think people realize that their home juicer can, can actually squeeze a pomegranate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just like it's not much different than any other citrus in, in a way, so... So um, with that, I tend to take that pomegranate juice and reduce it down to the point where I want it. And you can make a little pomegranate beurre blanc for a piece of fish, or you can do all sorts of things with that juice. Make dressing. cocktails like crazy. You could uh, make dressing. ice cubes and put that in your during the holidays in your martini or in your champagne. Mm-hmm. A little make small ice cube of uh, pomegranate and then drop it in your champagne, and it will melt as you talk and get your poo poos and start drinking, and you'll have a wonderful little glass of. Champagne and pomegranate. And pomegranate, yeah. What do you call that? I know the other one is called a kir in France. What do I call that? With the cassis. I call that a chamegranate. A chamegranate. 
live from Seattle. I just made that up. I wear I wear one of those really? to bed every night. <laughs> a shamagranate. A shamagranate. Yeah. But what about savory? Isn't she on, isn't she on our city council shamagranate? <laughs> Good one. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, the juice and the seeds, do you have a special way that you uh, like to... I mean, I know we can all throw the seeds so the in juice, a salad or something of that nature. If it's the juice, it's probably dressing or reduced down, like you said, to finish as a glaze. Uh-huh. So add a little vinegar to it and a little bit of olive oil and you have a wonderful dressing. Uh, you could even put a little Dijon mustard, my favorite thing to yeah, add to anything. Yeah, with, with pomegranate, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a great combination. It's a great garnish to many different things. Pomegranates are great in seeds for, for me. I love an endive, watercress, and pomegranate salad. This time of year, yeah, it's, it's so winter. Beautiful. It really reminds me of that. So, mm-hmm. um, and I like the, the obviously the texture and the different flavor between endive, watercress, and uh, pomegranate. So you get the sweet, you get the tart, you get all those different components, and it's an easy one to do. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to do pomegranate, you're most likely going to have more seeds than you need. So just take the rest of it, juice it, and make a little dressing and put that on your, on your salad as well. So you'll have a nice, colorful salad. If you don't, if you can't get a fresh pomegranate in the off-season, we'll say. I mean, right now they're easy to find, but in the off-season you might not be able to find them. There's several things to do. Obviously, there's the palm juice. They kind Correct. of cornered the pomegranate market, it yeah. seemed like. But there's also pomegranate molasses, mm-hmm. and that is a wild ingredient, I think. Sure. It's a little bit, to me, it reminds me, and the same culture probably, uh, like orange flower water, rose water, right. and pomegranate molasses. They're so much more stringent and, and strong than I expect them to be. But when you take, say, orange flower water out of the, shake it out of the jar, that is intense. You don't want to do, do you don't want to be drinking that by yourself. No, no, no. But you wouldn't think about it. orange flower water. It sounds, it sounds nice and yeah. blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, boom, it's it hits you in the face. Yeah. But pomegranate molasses is a little bit the same way. Right. Absolutely. Beautiful Absolutely. on a pork chop. Yeah. Uh, all sorts of ways to do it. So it's a, it's a great. I mean, we're very blessed to have this fruit this time of year. I've been around the market and everywhere. My mother-in-law has a bush in her garden, and she has fresh pomegranate. I'm like, what doesn't she have? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she has lemon, oranges, mandarin, and pomegranate, and finger limes. Finger Ooh, lime. those are cool. Hey, Pamela, will you jump on the mic uh, for a second? You're a crafty person, and I should never ask a question if I don't know that you know the answer. But how do you dry a pomegranate? Uh, hanging is, it up in your garage. You hang it up in your garage. Is, is and it, it will shrivel up you, and be beautiful. So you don't have to poke it or anything you through do, that you, thick skin? They let the, the air out? No. Because it seems like it would be a big moldy mess if you didn't. No, you've got to take a drill and go through to get your string in to hang it up. Oh. And that makes a mess. <laughs> that makes a mess. <laughs> wow. It's I, worth it, though. I bet your husband is not happy about the drill coming back <laughs> to the tool shed. <laughs> Her husband's never used to drill in his life. What did you do? What did you do to my drill? He's a wine guy. He's a wine guy. They don't drill. Oh, okay. Hey, Tom, quickly, let's touch on this. uh, Oh, yeah, get that in. We just told we It's almost like pomegranate molasses. That's what I'm saying. That that, that, uh, right now we we just tested a red flowering currant uh, syrup that Taryn from the Shark Garden, in case you haven't been to the Shark Garden, you should give it a visit because they have the strangest of all different items in there. And not strange in a bad way, strange in a great way. Discovered many what's, different what's things. What's so strange about flowering currants? Well, Taryn, would you like to, uh, to, to tell us a little something about this? If Taryn's going to do that, she has to jump up on the mic and uh, 
Tell us about this flowering currant and why Chef is calling it strange. Uh, it's actually rare because it's one of our native plants. Ah. And so people normally only run into it if they're foraging it. Mm-hmm. And it's the pink flowering currant that you'll see sometimes in landscapes, but it's one of our native plants that attracts a lot of hummingbirds. We have it in our native plant garden there, along with the 20 other edible berries in the native plant section. And uh, while you're on the mic, why don't you remind people what the Shark Garden is? I know it's down in the Burien area, right? Yeah, we're a nonprofit garden. For uh, It's a partly school garden where we work with at-risk high schoolers in the Highline District. And then we also have a community garden and a botanical collection that focuses on edible landscaping. Yum. Yeah. And, uh, do you accept donations of time or talent we or do. treasure? Uh, we do. You can visit sharkgarden.org to see a lot more information about right. how to volunteer and get involved. Terry and I were just down at the Food Lifeline uh, doing a commercial for them for their season of giving, and uh, we talked about the three T's, your time, your talent, and your treasure. And sometimes you don't have one or the other. Like a lot of people don't have the treasure, but they certainly have a lot of knowledge and time to, to offer to volunteer. So. Well, get out there this season and and, yeah. and go to the shark garden. At least visit and see what yeah. it's all about. Oh yeah, it's beautiful in spring and the summer, especially. We got a big pollinator garden that's just full of flowers and yeah. life. It's very cool. Lovely, great. Cool. Thank you for reminding us about that. Uh, up next, it's the savory salty side up. It's an exciting time because Dory Greenspan is going to be on the show. Her book Baking with Dory, sweet, salty, and simple, is out now. And uh, of course. Uh, if you're a baker, you know the name Dory Greenspan. We're lucky to have her on the show. That's coming up next on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Here we are. We're back in the Hot Stove Society kitchen in downtown Seattle, taking ourselves all the way across the country. Uh, we are uh, celebrating the release of the new book, uh, Baking with Dory. Sweet, salty, and simple, uh, and it's uh, one of, of many of Dory's uh, books that are have been highly, highly reviewed. And uh, I will I will say that uh, James Beard Award winning and New York Times best selling author Dory Greenspan offers beautifully photographed collections of 150 recipes that celebrate the sweet and savory and simple about baking across the board. So uh, this is a good time to think about what you're getting for Christmas. Or it's a Hanukkah great, or whatever it, it is that you do. What I'm going to say for me is what I love about this book is it's sweet and savory. Yeah, it's the combo. It's a very interesting uh, way to do it. Thank you, Dory. We're lucky enough to have Dory yes, on the yes. line. Welcome to the show, I am Dory. On the line. Yeah, you are on the line. And I hear you're babysitting. I wish I were there. I'm babysitting. I'm babysitting. So since we were last together, um, I have a granddaughter. Nice. Uh, I have a grandson since we were last together named Hercules uh, on company no, property. No, it is not. On company property, it is. Hercules. <laughs> on company property. <Yeah. laughs> is that because, okay, and, and when, when Hercules is not on company property, his name is? I don't really know. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dory, uh, not, not to get off the subject, but did you have any naming rights? You know, like Amazon paid $40 no. million dollars to name our new arena, Climate Pledge Arena. I felt like I paid for all of her tu- my daughter's tuition, and I drove carpool and read her stories, and then I got no naming rights on the baby. You know, I should have had this conversation with you earlier. Um, happily, I love... Um, my granddaughter's name. It's Gemma. Oh, that's a good one. It's a good one. Yeah, that's it's a good, a good one. one. Yeah. 
um, I didn't get to name, so I have a son, Joshua, who's the father of the wonderful Jenna, and I wanted to name him Jedediah. <laughs> and Michael, my husband, said no. Maybe I should have tried Hercules. Yeah, you should try Hercules. <laughs> you know, it's, it's good. It comes with its own theme song. <laughs> All right. Oh, it's so good to talk to you. Absolutely. Uh, let's jump into Baking with Dory. Tell us about the book and what you're, what you're attempting to uh, get across to all your many fans. So this book, so this book started out, it was going to be an all savory baking book. And I worked on it and, and I, I was doing savory baking and I love savory baking, but every once in a while I do something sweet and then I would do more sweet. And so the balance tipped and it's, you know, it's my 14th book and I find with all of the baking that, I mean, I love baking as much as I ever did, but my tastes have gotten simpler and simpler. And so this book is simplest yet. I'm using very, you know, easy to get ingredients and just getting the most flavor out of them, the most texture. And it's really my first all purpose, like morning to midnight book since Baking from my home to yours, which is, I'm not getting any younger, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this was a chance. I was, I was really happy to have a chance to do a breakfast chapter. I love breakfast baking. And to just, you know, call out the, the recipes that I really love and that I make all the time. I, you know, I couldn't agree more. That whole breakfast thing is what, that's when I eat almost all pastries. I, I rarely eat dessert uh, at lunch or at dinner, but I, I love a sweet in the morning. I must agree. Uh, the other thing that's in your book, which uh, I can't wait to try, because in my bakery book, uh, the one that Shelly and I wrote um, has an English muffin recipe, and it's such a pain in the butt. Is your re- recipe hard to make your English muffins? I think so why what, what did you do that made it so difficult yeah exactly i'm blaming shelly for all of this uh because if i if i were to have done it myself they wouldn't be that hard it's just it's it's really kind of the whole baking process putting a board on top and and griddling them and you know or not griddling them. it's just yeah i just find them okay, hard to make so- I, I, I appreciate them so much more when somebody else makes them <laughs> So I, I think if you ever want to face English muffin baking again, and it, there's really no baking because it is griddling. The oven never gets turned on. It's a really a kind of flatbread. Um, I hope you'll try the recipe. It takes patience because I like to give it an overnight chill so that the flavor is really – it's not sourdough. I'm using regular yeast, but it has that tang that you get. When you give yeast time to develop, I love that recipe. Dory, what, this time of year, what's a good savory um, dessert? I guess we're going to call them savory desserts. What's a good savory dessert this time of year that you would pick out of a, you know, if you were going to someone's house and have to bring something? What would that be? So it, it, it's so interesting. I have my savory baking in this book is more. Um, appetizers or um, like a, a galette with mushroom on top and ricotta. But I have recipes, I've been so interested in this, that kind of straddle sweet and savory. So one of my favorite recipes in the book is the miso maple loaf. And I think of it, 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 could, it can be dessert. 
it's wonderful with something jammy and fruity, a compote or, um, or, you know, a, a fruit coulis on top of it. And it's just as good with a piece of sharp cheddar. And I love that kind of recipe mm-hmm. that it's just on the fence, can go, can go either way. Right. Um, I all, you know, I also love and there, I, I learned about them in France and don't see them all that often here, but savory cakes. So loaf cakes that are savory. I have one in the book with goat cheese and black pepper and it's a quick bread. Um, but it's, it's so nice with soup or with, um, just with, with a glass of wine. Yeah, that sounds definitely, <laughs> definitely French to me. You also have one with, yes. ap- don't you have one with apricot and pistachio, um, olive oil, olive oil cake? Yes. I love yes. olive oil cake. I, the texture of it is so nice. It's a moist cake and I love playing with those flavors. So there's apricot jam and, and, and pistachio and the opportunity to either use a little bit of saffron in the cake. Mm-hmm. which is lovely with olive oil and, and apricot, or tea. Uh, and then uh, one more question on the, of, yeah. on the savory side of things. You know, everything, m- many of your recipes come with a crust, and uh, people are so used to having uh, paprise, maybe uh, making that with the sugar in it. Is there a trick to getting the same kind of brown on a savory crust as there is one that has sugar in it? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Yes, I mean the butter will 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 get you that brown color. But I I feel like many people are afraid to bake their crusts long enough mm-hmm. to get yep. that color. And I've always thought that color equals flavor. If you have a pale crust, you're not getting that nutty flavor that you get when butter is really baked. Um, courage. Keep it in there. Get it. I remember I was baking at, um, Sarah Beth Levine's bakery in, in New York, and she said, Ah, you do a French bake. Yeah. And yeah. I had never heard that, ex- right? Mm-hmm. And I'd never heard the expression. And she meant that I get the crusts dark. Yeah. And I think it's really important if you're timid, if you take the crust out while it's pale, you're not going to get the beautiful color, which looks so nice when you bring it to the table, and you're not going to get the flavor. So true. We say that here at the hot stove all the time about being brave when you're cooking, whether it's browning your onions or caramelizing your your uh, sugar for like a creme caramel or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Be brave and go ahead and get some of that color. When we come back, let's jump into some seasonal things that maybe people would make this holiday season. Uh, on Cairo, Great. it's the Hot Stove Society Show with our friend Dory Greenspan. When we come back on in about uh, 90 seconds. And we're back in the kitchen with Dory Greenspan right here, the Hot Stove Society Kitchen in downtown Seattle. Uh, Dory's got a new book out called Baking with Dory, Sweet, Salty, and Simple. Uh, You can find her book, uh, of course, everywhere. But uh, if you want a signed copy of her book, uh, Laura at the uh, Book Larder has some over in Fremont. So be a fun little Christmas present to get. Hopefully it's a first edition signed copy that's what I collect. <laughs> Dory, where in the world are you at this moment? Are you in New York? I am. I'm in Soho, Manhattan, at my son and daughter-in-law and granddaughter's oh. place. Congratulations. Nice. With Gemma. Uh, I'm with Gemma. With Gemma. 
And yes, my grandson's mm-hmm. name, the real name is Rory, and my daughter's a little sick of me whining about this, but whatever. Oh, um, Rory? Rory. I guess I, 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 get, I, I like that name, and it does sound a little bit like Dory. It does sound like Dory. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Dory, I wanted to be called Jane, but never mind. Everyone's getting into their holiday baking list at this point. And uh, when I was last in the store last year at this time, it was hard to find a bunch of ingredients, whether it was vanilla beans or even certain flours yeah. and sugars and yeast. But this time I looked uh, last week and everything seems to be in good supply. Where would you start people off on the holiday season? Uh, some new ideas, some old ideas. Uh, what's your favorite thing to make this time of year? Well, of course, of course, cookies. But, but before we we get there, you know, I I'm on a chocolate kick. I for Thanksgiving I made and I I, I would make it again for Christmas the cocoa cranberry Linzer tart. Mm-hmm. Why is it? I, I mean, so it's it's a chocolate Linzer cookie, so it's spiced and it's uh, you put it in a in a baking pan, one layer of that a cranberry jam that has raspberries in it, and then another layer of the chocolate bake. It's simple. It's beautiful. Why don't we have chocolate at this time of year? <laughs> exactly. I don't no, know. of course. I'm not a chocolate right? nut, I guess. Maybe that's why I don't. But uh... Do you use your own jam that you made in the summertime? Is that where you go with that Linzer tort? I do make my own jam, and I make the cra- I mean, to make a cranberry filling so easy because cranberries cook up so quickly and thicken so nicely. So yes, I do do that um, for this. So that's something that I'll be making, and I'm going to be making if I always make it. I've made for 20 years. I'm going to be making world peace cookies for Christmas, mm. but I have a new version in the book, um, world peace cookies 2.0. And they have <laughs> rye. Well, so, so so I'll do this very quickly. But this is a cookie that the pastry chef Pierre Hermé gave to me, gave me the recipe more than 20 years ago. And it's a perfect cookie. It's a chocolate. It's a sublet, but it's made, so a shortbread, but it's made with um, brown sugar. So it's a little chewy, and it's got chunks of chocolate, and it has salt in it. It had fleur de sel, and 20-some-odd years ago, tasting the salt was revolutionary. Mm-hmm. And so I never... I never touched the cookie because it was perfect and it was Pierre's cookie. Um, but someone asked me to make a cookie to go with their book, Charlotte Druckmann, to go with their book, Women on Food. And so I tried to think of characteristics in women that I really admire and find foods, that ingredients that match them. And so the cookie has rye for earthiness and freeze-dried raspberries for kind of sass and verve and cocoa nibs for strength and... Um, Chili pepper, Piedmont d'Espelette, for just a little spark of unexpected. Ooh, I like that. And I love, yeah, yeah, a little bit of, of, of Piedmont d'Espelette. And so that will be in my, in my, my cookie pack this season. And I'm also going to make, because they're so delicious and they're so pretty and, and they're unusual, the coffee and stars mm-hmm. well, i have a lot of things i'm going to be making yeah what are you making uh well we make a version of or i'll say jackie makes these uh, and i ask her to make them because i love them but uh it's, it's almost like a fruit cake bar that uh, she makes with all the different dried fruits of the season and things like that but you know what she made last week which uh used up the last of her cherry jam we have an, an orchard at our farm in, in eastern washington and she made delicious cherry jam this year and she made rugula out of it 
It was her first time ever oh, making perfect. arugula, and they were the best I've ever tasted. And Can you remind me you know what, what really is? makes me mad, Dory, as a cookbook author myself? I know I, I don't have many opinions <laughs> on things, but my daughter I'm walks around the kitchen with her phone in her hand and, and bakes things, and even though that my four cookbooks are sitting on the counter right behind her. Uh, and now my wife does this too. So um, she she yeah she probably stole one of your recipes offline for free and made rugula and it's uh, this is the most fantastic thing I've ever tasted. Can you remind me of what that is? Rugula is like a I rolled. Uh, well, maybe Dory, tell us I what rugula. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's and it's also it's a great great holiday recipe. So it's cream cheese dough, and most of the doughs are the same. I mean, these are you know grandmothers, great-grandmothers that just passed this recipe along. I got mine from my mother-in-law. Um, and so it's a cream cheese dough, which is so forgiving and so easy to work with. And then it's spread with jam. I also like to put some um, chopped cho- chocolate on it as well. Sometimes it has plumped raisins or currants. And then it's either rolled up in a log, so it's spiraled, and you cut it in pieces, or you can um, roll it in a circle and put the jam and whatever on top of it and then cut it into triangles and roll it up like like little mini croissants. Like little croissants, that's and what she did, yeah. Right. Great recipe. Perfect recipe for the holidays. Uh-huh. And yes, I have a recipe for it. <laughs> I'm sure she <laughs> yes, stole yours because they were delicious. Uh, the other thing about those cookies is that uh, they, they really last a long time. I mean, they don't... Yes. Because of the jam and the cream cheese in the in the dough, right. they stay moist. They and, stay moist and delicious for a long time. And if you cook them long enough, like it, like Dory says, if you're brave, and you cook them in the the jam filling, kind of comes out and starts to caramelize on the cookie sheet, yeah. and you get that little crusty bite along with your regular kind of soft cookie. What a great combination that is! Yep. And you know when you see that jam come out and get crusty, you think, "Oh no, what have I done? What have I done?" Right. What you've done is made a good rugula because you can then just take your spatula and lift the cookie up, and the little burnt jam stays on the parchment, and the cookie is perfect. So yes, yes bake it. You know when you were talking about your fruit cake um, bar, I was thinking I have a recipe in the book for iced and spiced hermits, and. I had never made a hermit before. The recipe is hundreds of years old, and it's a moist, a little chewy, um, spiced cookie that um, I put raisins in it, but you could put little pieces of ginger. I put black pepper um, in it as well as ginger and nutmeg and cinnamon. And you, you roll it into a log. I love anything you can play with with your hands. You roll it into a log and bake it as though you were baking biscotti, but you don't do the second um, the second bake. And I was thinking that as you were saying, fruitcake bars, the dough for the hermits might be delicious. I think it would be delicious with that mix that we often put in fruitcakes. That would be a fun variation yeah, on the hermit. Absolutely. And, of course, when you say fruitcake anymore, everyone just turns up their nose. But I love a good fruitcake, i got to say. Yeah, and it's, it's hard to find. It's not like the Lions Club fruitcakes that they used to sell to cure blindness. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> when instead, they tried to kill you with a fruitcake. Uh, no, really good fruitcake is a, well, is like a my delight. My favorite part of the fruitcake is macerating the fruit in some good rum or uh-huh. some good booze. Yeah. 
put that in the cake. I mean, how how wrong can that be? Well, I'm just uh, we literally <laughs> just ate the the last bars from last Christmas because every few months I take the cheesecloth off of them and I've baste them again with some brandy, Calvados or something like that, and then put it back together, <laughs> put it in the fridge, and they last forever. Oh, so, but I, you know, as you're talking about this, I'm thinking, what a wonderful gift this is. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, like, it's like having a plant, right? You get to tend it all year long, right? A little bit more cognac or rum or brandy or bourbon. Um, just kind of brush the cake, have a little sip yourself, look forward to you know, having it in a short while. That's very nice. I yeah. think let's bring back the fruitcake. It's um it's, it's super fun and it's like a little bit like making your own miso or something that you get to babysit all year long and you just kinda of take a scoop out, use it and try it at different stages. And the same with the fruitcake. It just gets better and better and better. Dory, thank you so much for spending a little time with us today. Thank you. Uh, Dory's new book oh, is called I'm... Baking with Dory. Sweet, salty and simple and it's available at the book larder. Signed copies over there in Fremont with Lara. Yes. Oh, I wish I, I wish I were with you. I wish I was back with Laura at Book Lauder next book. All right. Perfect. That's a promise. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Thank, Thank you, Dory. You. Thank you so much. Bye. We'll be right back uh, on the Hot Stove Society show. We're going to talk to Rachel Bell, fellow Cairo host and creator of the podcast, Your Last Meal on Cairo. It's Hot Stove Society, 97.3 FM. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society Show from the beautiful Hotel Andra in downtown Seattle. If you ever come downtown, we're at 4th and Virginia, right above Lola on the second floor. Come and, come and visit the Hot Stove or take a class. I taught a class yesterday where we did karaoke with Neil Diamond. I'm, I'm doing one. Yeah, exactly. I'm doing one tomorrow, Mr. Douglas. Oh, good. I'm glad I'm going to be here for your crep class, right? That's right. You know, my wife is coming to that. She's never come to one of my classes. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Your family uh, is really Rachel showing, Bell. showing Rachel a lot Bell of is joining us, one of the personalities at Cairo and uh, a famous on, in her own right for her podcast, Your Last Meal. And uh, you are, you have a very famous baker on your show coming up soon. Well, she already was here. She was already here. Yeah. So I'll explain the show really quick. So okay. your last meal, I interview celebrities about what they would choose to eat for their last meal. No, wait, 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 wait. You interviewed me. Yes. You were the first one. <laughs> Are yeah, you calling I know. me a... Celebrity. That's right. An A-lister? A karaoke guy, a celebrity, an A-lister. Yeah. Actually, you were on two episodes now because you got to be on our five-year celebratory Ah. episode as well. Just just to be clear. Yeah. Yesterday when I sang Neil Diamond Karaoke, Sweet Caroline, my first time ever singing karaoke. What? Yeah. Oh, my. Well, I was thinking if you're doing crepes, you have to do the Rolling Stones song so you can sing crepe murder. (laughs) It's just a shot away. So that's got to be your song. Show the wind. Okay. Okay. Christina okay. Tosi. Christina Tosi. So yeah, the show. I have celebrities on to talk about their last meals, and then based on what they say, we go down all these rabbit holes, uh, kind of telling the history or the culture or the science behind that meal. So for example, um, on a show with Betsy Johnson, the famous fashion designer, we were thinking, where do food and fashion collide? And we got the guy who designed Lady Gaga's meat dress on mm-hmm. to Prosciut. talk about Prosciut. how they made. Well, actually, what well, it was interesting. He he was serious. So he's from South America, and he called. This family's butcher and he said the right meat to use would be 
skirt steak. Mm. I know, but it was true. He said it's thick enough that you can tie it. You know, you can sew it up. Yeah. Yeah. So, and we've had everyone from, you know, Ben and Jerry to John Waters, Danny Trejo, um, Ken Jennings and Mayan Bialik because we have the whole Jeopardy crew on. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dory Greenspan was on actually who you just had on. Uh, And I love her last meal because hers was, um, she said she wanted ice cream, lobster, and then ice cream again. (laughs) (laughs) And her show was really fun because she confessed that she's a creature of habit and that she has the same lunch every day for years, just to keep it simple. So we had this guy on named Donald Gorski, who has eaten nothing but McDonald's Big Macs every day since 1972. Mm -hmm. He's eaten over 30,000 Big Macs. Mm -hmm. And as you can imagine, he's a very normal person. Yeah, mm-hmm. we had him 30, on the show. Pounds. Just your average. No, he's very skinny. Very skinny. Very skinny. So that's just kind of an example of how wow. the show goes. So recently, um, we had Christina Tosi on the show. She's the founder, CEO, and James Beard Award-winning chef of Milk Bar. I'm sure you're familiar. Sure, of course. And she kind of made those naked cakes famous. Um, she's also famous for her cereal milk ice cream. And she does this thing where she takes nostalgic childhood treats and suburban grocery store classics, and then she spins them into these modern creations. So here is Christina talking about cake. My ideal and perfect birthday cake, believe it or not, is the box funfetti cake mix cake with the tub of frosting that has sprinkles folded in. And it's purely nostalgic for me. Nothing can top it for birthday. That's how I know it's my birthday. So what I started thinking about was, why do we have cake on our birthdays? You don't think twice about it. It's a birthday, you have a cake. But there's a reason for everything, and it's been happening for centuries. So when I started looking into it, it was interesting because you first had to look at the celebration of birthdays itself. And that is a very, very modern thing. So, you know, even going back to the pharaohs, they would celebrate birthdays, but you had to be famous, you had to be important, you had to be a leader, otherwise you weren't celebrated. And in America, we didn't start celebrating birthdays until the 20th century for everybody. It was the 1860s or the 1880s uh, when middle-class Americans would celebrate. And part of that is just because of reliable timekeeping. A lot of people just didn't actually know exactly when their birthday was or exactly what their age was. So that's Alyssa Levine. She's the author of Cake, A Slice of History. Um, And she said, actually, when everyone started celebrating birthdays, there was pushback. There was an article in The Atlantic. It's like a trophy for everyone, right? Everyone's a winner. (laughs) Yeah, well, people didn't want that. Yeah, it was kind of like the snowflake thing. So The Atlantic says, quote, Birthday party poopers thought that the celebrations were self-centered and materialistic, took attention away from God, and turned children into brats. All of which is true. It's totally true. Um, And also, like, cakes weren't the way that cakes are now. They were really dense. You guys were talking about Mm fruitcake earlier. Steam puddings. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so sugar was really, really expensive, and flour was very coarse, uh, and it was hard to get all of these ingredients. So uh, you guys are probably familiar with this woman, Anne Byrne. uh, So you actually happy then it would only happen once a year what's that <laughs> you might have been very happy it only happened once a year well you wouldn't have it at all you would just like when's my birthday i don't know back to the farm like you know they just, was there snowing. was no cake yeah, yeah exactly so i had ann burn on she's the best-selling author of many cake books including american cake which is a really really interesting book she goes through and gives recipes for over a hundred classic American cakes, but she gives all the history behind them. And she talks about why cakes are celebratory. How did cakes come to represent celebration? Well, I think cake has always been different. It's been held a little bit higher. It's been celebratory because it required sugar. It required an oven. And to eat a slice of cake, you needed a fork. America was rural and it was poor. 
you have to think that, you know, the amount of sugar that was used in cakes and certainly the kind of heavily frosted cakes that we think of as the American layer cake weren't available to everyone. And so maybe baking a cake was a precious occasion. And so I think cake has really earned the right to be special. So we also talked about birthday candles, but I want to leave room for us to talk about cake. So if you want to listen to this whole episode, you can go to yourlastmealpodcast.com or listen to Your Last Meal wherever you get podcasts. But let's talk about birthday cake. So what is your perfect, perfect, ideal birthday cake? Oh, boy. My mom always used to make that kind of uh, cheesecake off the back of the Philadelphia cream cheese box, yeah. you know, with the graham cracker crumb. And, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, then, and we had a choice for our birthdays, and that's the one I would always pick. Today... You know, if somebody's cooking, I'm eating. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's yes. my idea of a birthday. I like a good olive oil cake, as we were talking with Dory. Mm. Probably one of my favorite uh, in the last few years. Make, making that cake has definitely been one of my favorite cakes because of the moisture, the savoriness a little bit from the olive oil. And, and then you can add anything to that, obviously meringue or, or whipped cream or, or creme au beurre, you know, buttercream kind of idea. So it's an easy one to make, but most importantly, you can make the cake a couple of days ahead. It won't dry out. It won't be, you know, it will be nothing but better. So it's a great and practical cake to make. Alice Waters makes one with uh, olive oil and sauterne. Right. Sauterne cake is delicious. What's sauterne? Sweet wine from the Bordeaux region of France. Oh, how did you know that? I don't know. I just, I saw it at 7-Eleven this morning on the way here. (laughs) Typically, the grapes are infected with botrytis. Okay. You pick them late in the harvest, like late November, sometimes even after they've been frozen. Mm, rotten wine, wine cake. Yeah. Yum. Mm. Thanks for asking my ideal birthday cake. Yeah. Uh, Does is, anyone care here? <laughs> <laughs> is with the leftovers of your cake that's been sitting on the counter for seven days. Yeah, exactly. I love like a really moist, dense cake, but lemon and with a cream mm. cheese frosting. That's my favorite. But for my 40th birthday, I insisted on a cake from Deep Sea Salt and Sugar in Georgetown because yeah. mm-hmm. I'd never had one before and i got the earl gray cake with bergamot cream cheese mascarpone frosting delicious when we come back more with rachel bell on cairo radio we're going to talk hanukkah yay uh, for a few minutes and we're back in the kitchen here at the hot stove society annie dreamboat annie's over there working away getting ready for a class today Pamela, our producers in the audience. We have a live audience right yes. here, including uh, Chef Terry's wife, Kathy, yes. is here. Asked the opening question on the pomegranate segment. It was very exciting. <gasps> and um, we have Rachel Bell back for a second segment. Uh, Rachel, uh, I was brought up Catholic. I am not a practicing Catholic. Not since I told my first lie when I was 10 years old and told my parents that after I delivered my newspaper out that I went to St. John the Beloved and went to church, and instead I went to the post house and had breakfast on Main Street in Newark, Delaware. Did you confess while you were there at least? And that's what? Did you confess, though, after you had breakfast I at pro- the diner? I, I, not to my parents. I okay. Didn't. Yeah. I, uh, anyway, so that's also how I got started cooking, because of watching at the post house at the counter. So don't know anything about the Jewish traditions of Hanukkah. And now my daughter and her husband, who happens to be Jewish, ben, Benjamin Byers, I call him Benjamin. I've been watching his uh, like his evening ritual with mm. the candles and the presents, and he got, all, he got all of us presents. And it's like, wow, what's going on here? This is news yeah, to me. Yeah, you got a bonus holiday from yeah, this guy. That's Loretta, awesome. Loretta made a round of latkes mm. the other night for the opening night of Hanukkah. So... Tell me about your approach to Hanukkah and, and why it's important, uh, you, those traditions to you in your life. 
Yeah, so there's a famous expression. They tried to kill us. We lived. Let's eat. So every uh, holiday... That's uh, very so famous, I've never heard it before. <laughs> no, it's famous amongst my people. Okay. So yeah, every holiday kind of revolves around food, and everything's really symbolic, which is what makes it fun. And so the story of Hanukkah, long story short, is that the Jewish temple was destroyed, and when they went inside, they thought there was only enough oil to light the lamps for one night. It lasted for eight. That was the miracle. And so we deep fry on Hanukkah. We eat food with oil. With oil. Yeah, and so there's only two foods that are, you know, pretty significant, and one is sufganiyot, which is a jelly donut. It's like a yeasted, yeah, you know, rising yeah. donut. Mm-hmm. And then the other is latkes, which is much more doable at home because I think that making donuts is kind of a bigger project. I also find it odd that it's yeasted because there's, there's all this, like, non-yeasted stuff in Jewish Cuisine. Only for Passover. That's a whole oh, other story. We were trying to leave Egypt other, in a hurry. We yeah. didn't have time for the bread to rise. But by the time Hanukkah came around in December, oh, everything <laughs> was cool. Yeah, it was everybody, fine. Everybody was donuts for every, everyone. Yeah, everybody. Yeah. We got new problems. We're out of Egypt. They destroyed our temple. <sighs> At least we have yeast. All right. So latkes are really, really easy, and they are so delicious and it's so simple all it is is shredded potatoes shredded onions you have to shred both of them you can use either use a grater but i actually ended up buying a food processor with the grating attachment just oh, for latkes so cheating because it makes it so much easier i know my favorite part about watching my daughter make them the other night was bandaging her finger from mm-hmm. shredding her finger along with she'll learn yeah. after she's been a jew for a few more years she'll get a food processor <laughs> And then you squeeze all the water out, and a lot will come out. You can use cheesecloth or a, or just a kitchen towel. You don't want to squeeze it totally dry, though. You want like a little bit of the potato starch. What about but, just your hands? I mean, mm, I, I usually squeeze in my hand. That's well, if you're, you're making your tough cookie, if you're making oh, for a crowd, a it'll just latke. take a while. So yeah. this way, you just get it all in there. Good. Um, and then once you put it in a bowl, you put matzo meal. Some people use flour. I don't. I only use matzo meal. Last night I couldn't find any, so I bought matzo and crushed it up. That's what oh, we did. We crushed our matzo up. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And then a couple of eggs, salt and pepper, and that's it. Okay. So the reason you want to squeeze it is that makes it extra crunchy, and that's what you want. Yeah. Um, you never want to mash it. Sometimes I see like these mashed latkes. That's not a latke. Like you need the lace. Crispy. Oh, right. I had this argument the other night. I was trying to tell her how to put it in the pan yeah. to get a lacy edge, and she just put her hand down and said, I'm making these latkes, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Well, it's her house, so I guess you'll have to house. try them. Oh, it was your house. house. Okay. So, yeah, then you put them in a pan with oil. Not sh- like you want to put a good amount. You're not submerging them, but you want like a good amount of oil. I used avocado oil. Um, or I'll just use like the cheap kind of canola, but you know, just something kind of neutral. And then they get super crispy and delicious. Mm, so and then good. sour cream and applesauce mm-hmm. is what you top them with. Mm-hmm. I will do anything to eat sour cream. So this is my favorite so that I can just get like a big bucket and just scoop it on. I think what's cool about latkes is it's a great vessel. I mean, you can mm-hmm. add so many different things on top of that. Oh. Yeah, smoked I mean, salmon. Some people do caviar or they yeah. do like the poppy salmon I start eggs. with caviar, then we go down from there because it's, uh-huh. <laughs> it's easier. <laughs> well, I got into trouble the other night because she was looking on her phone like she always does on her phone looking for a recipe. Uh, and I said, well, you know, I have a recipe right there in my crab cake book. And she for said, latkes? you have a latke recipe in your crab cake book? And apparently Jewish don't eat crab and latkes together. I've heard. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, but... 
we just left the crab out, and my re- my latke recipe is delicious. And wow! It's just like what is said. it a latke recipe or is it like a roasty? It's a latke re- okay. recipe. Okay. Shelly Lance, my co-writer, it's Grandma Pearls. Her, her Grandma Pearls latke recipe. Nice. I think the thing is, you know, you I at least I just want to do the traditional. People talk about doing parsnips. They talk about sweet potato. They talk about putting locks on top. It's a once a year thing. I want it to taste how it tasted when I was a kid. You know, I want the yeah, traditional flavor. So I never do a, a different variation. Like in my day to week monthly cooking life, I experiment all the time. But this is like, it has to be this way. Okay. There are certain things that are not meant to be messed with. Yeah, it's sacred. Oh, I agree. On, when you guys. eat it once a year for one it's day. It's a memory what taste. Happens, what happens when you have a beautiful little dish of duck fat in the fridge like I did. Oh, I would cook I it in duck fat, yes. Uh, yes, that's yeah, acceptable. you're messing with tradition right now. I think that would be good, though. Of course, they probably <laughs> were cooked in schmaltz, is my guess. Oh, yeah, a lot uh, of people do that. Add a little schmaltz to it. Also, I noticed you have to peel the potatoes. If you leave the skins on, it tastes more like hash browns, and it really does change the flavor. Right. Huh. I noticed that because I actually do you know um, Chef Becky Selengut here in yeah. Seattle? Yeah, of course. Several years ago, we got together. I did an article for The Stranger where we tried a bunch of different methods uh, because we were talking about I call it Latka Prison. You have a Hanukkah party and you're sitting there flipping. And everyone's talking behind you, and you just want to be a part of the conversation, but I refuse to make them in advance because I don't think they're as good. So she and I tried all kinds of methods of making them in advance and reheating them. Nothing was as good as fresh. But we also tried peeled versus unpeeled, I think. Unpeeled is more. You know what you do to better. get back with all those people that are like enjoying life while you're struggling over the stove. Making do you eat all the latkes? No, you only serve Mogan David or Manischewitz wine, Ooh, and then yes. they're sitting there like, "Oh, <laughs> this is horrific." It's like drinking Welch's grape juice with alcohol, and then you you get right back at them. Then they're all of a sudden they're interested in you and your latkes with a little gefilte garnish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do like a filter. Actually, I would say you make one person chop parsley, the other one, you know, sees, I don't know, do some other stuff that's going to go on top of the latkes and, you know, whip, whip uh, the cream. They're delicious with a little pile of browned onions, I can tell you that. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. that does sound good, too. That does sound good. Well, happy Hanukkah, guys. Are you going to be having latkes again? Thank you. I, I don't know. What else do you do? I mean, is there another tradition within the eight days? Nope. They made it seem like it was the first night that you had latkes. Do you have them all, all eight days? No, you can kind of do whatever you want. Honestly, it's in the Jewish holiday calendar. It's a very insignificant holiday as far as... Like it doesn't meaningful. seem like it. I know. It's actually okay. not in the Bible. It's not in the Torah. So it's it's more of like a cultural holiday that gets yeah. inflated because it happens to be a winter holiday and people are like, oh, it's the it other Christmas, Christmas, even yeah. though it's not. Yeah. So tell me a little bit. I, I thought there was a seance happening in my house and he's <laughs> he's singing a song at the candle. What is that song? Oh, we got songs. It sounds like, I know you got songs, but it sounds like he was taught that song when maybe he was a little kid. Well, there's... a a prayer that you say with oh, the candle. So he was probably song. saying a prayer. Yeah, but there is a like a tune to it. So on the first night, we do three prayers. And then every other night, you just do one. Uh-huh. But then we have songs as well. So we have a prayer, too. Like, I thank the farmers who grew my food and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. This is like thanking the people that make the latkes. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, we this one's more like gaudy, you know, more God in there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Rachel Bell, thank you so much for thank sharing. Thank you so yeah, much. So, so nice. Your thoughts on latkes, your thoughts on Makes your Makes me podcast, want some latkes. Uh, and if I may plug once again, it's yourlastmealpodcast.com, and you can follow me on Instagram, Hello Rachel Bell. Hello, Rachel Bell. Up next, it's Fish Cakes, from Rachel to Fish Cakes on Cairo Radio. That's it's the name the of my memoir. Society's show, <laughs> 97.3FM. And we're back in the hot stove kitchen on Cairo Radio. This is uh, Chef Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotero, the chef in the hat. It's always fun to have Rachel on. She's a ball of energy. Oh, absolutely. She yep. just charged the batteries. She can talk faster than anyone I know, I think. She'd be great at those advertising. Uh... try the radio show. <laughs> I like that. Check out being a radio star. Me, on the other hand, I have a face made for radio. So that's, that's good. Uh, fish cakes. Let's talk fish cakes, chef. Uh, Pamela, who makes fish cakes all the time, but only purchased ones. <laughs> As you guys have heard often, I live next to a wonderful fish store, and they have crab cakes, um, not as good as yours, Tom, but they'll do in a pinch. But now that crabs at $60 a pound, more often I, or occasionally I, I pivot to their regular fish cake, which they use from up all their trim uh-huh. and delicious but it needs a little kapow or something and can you d- dissect this fish cake as far as uh, how they make it is it just a big pile of raw fish scrap like they scraped the salmon skeleton uh, spine you know? it's always the whites it's always the white fish yes okay. and what do they bind it with um it's got some egg and a tiny amount of breadcrumb okay so is that the most like traditional cake, cake. And yeah. is it yeah. ground like no, machine ground? Or no, is it? it's nice and flaky. Okay. Chunks in it. Yeah, I've seen it in their counter there. Uh, you know, that whole corner has just come alive between the fresh fish store uh, uh, and uh, used to be Kashopo Meat Company there, mm-hmm. which they still sell the sausages at the fish store. Yes. And uh, Beast and Cleaver, that butcher shop. Is so good on social media that you you often see lines around the block there. And now they're colliding with the Larson's Bakery line. <laughs> so we're talking about 24th and 80, 80th. 80th. 80th, uh, yeah. Up there in north, north uh, like Crown Hill, Loyal Heights area of north, north of Ballard. Ballard. Yeah. So anyway, fish cakes. Chef, did you ever... The only one I can remember I've made over the year at Rover's was a salmon cake. Okay. Um I've never made a white fish cake, but I've made salmon cake many times. And one of my favorite ways to make it is to just dice super small the, the meat mm-hmm. itself by knife, not by machine. And uh, mainly because I don't want to pulse and I don't want to end up with a paste. I want to end up with something almost like a tartare idea where you actually taste the salmon. And um, inside, just very simply chopped shallots, as you would imagine. A little bit of fresh thyme, lots of chopped chives. Salt and paper, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And then, so like a salmon, what people call now a salmon burger, basically. Right. Yeah. And then it would be cooked in brown butter because I think it brings a nice little flavor, mm-hmm. also a nice crispiness on the outside. And then the rest is all about the sauce. To me, that's like, you know, you can make a chomula, you can make, you know, you just have to be careful not to overpower the salmon. But mm-hmm. once you have a brown, crusty um, skin on the outside, there's a lot of things you can do with the sauce because it will take a lot. Right. So there is a lot of give, you know, to that. So a nice, you know, bunch of chopped herb, lemon juice, little mustard, little olive oil. And you have this wonderful little spread that you can put on the bottom of the cake. 
or you can do, I mean, this countless, you could do a fish stock from the bones and you have, reduce it down very slowly and then finish it with a nice nugget of butter and then you have this glossy, nice little broth on the bottom of your so cake. So in that scenario, you're cooking your, your salmon cake and then you're serving it kind of like an appetizer and then you're saucing on top? Well, if, you, if it was a, a nice broth like that or mm-hmm. a nice finish like a nage idea, you put that on the bottom and you put the cake right on top of that. And then you're eating what you're eating. It's almost like having a combination of broth and, and sealed kind mm-hmm. of idea. So that's another way. And then, you know, there's many. You could do it in the summertime. You do a tomato, a nice tomato sauce. Then you could do, put that under your fish cake. I mean, that's still a wonderful um, garnish to be to added to that. So there's many ways to, right. to do that, baby. But I'm more, for, fit, for me, fish cakes are more, I like the Japanese version, where uh-huh. it's kind of like, uh, you know, Harry Yoshimura from Mutual Fish taught me how to make these. He would take all the scrap from his case, uh, the salmon scrap, black cod, you, you name it, perch, flounder, any sort of scrap, and puree it, and it looked like surimi when he was done with it. Okay. And then he would deep fry that, and he had his fish cakes that were just plain that. Then he had what he called his deluxe fish cakes, where he took that surimi and folded in some crab meat, some green onions, uh, some seasoning, ginger, garlic, and then deep fried that. I loved those. Yeah. And you can do those so many different ways. And you can buy this at Wajamaya, too. You can buy fish cakes there. Uh, but uh, you just either eat them as a snack or you can slice them up and put them in a soup. Uh, you can toss them in a salad. Yeah, at, and, uh, and you mentioned surimi. It's, it's, I don't know if people know this, but it's actually uh, wild Alaskan pollock. Right. You know, that is just made into a, a paste and into a shape, you know, but it's just pure seafood and it makes a great, great cake. I mean, that's an easy meat to use for that kind of purpose. Well, it's like shrimp, right? When you puree shrimp, it right. becomes a sausage meat. Correct. And you can form it into anything you want yeah. to form it and into. And it poaches really well. It warms really well. It's, you know, it's a very, it's much more giving than a piece of fish. Right, you know, and and that's an easy one to make in a fish cake. So. And if you if you're not of that culture that eats fish in that way, um, it's an easy thing to accomplish. Like uh, you just buy a green papaya, you shred a green papaya, you buy some cilantro, some Thai basil, and then you buy these fish cakes, right? And sometimes try and stay away from the ones that kind of have the fake pink roll across. <laughs> you see, you know, the white center with the yeah. fake pink. Uh, or dyed pink uh, outside on it. Just buy the just the natural fish cakes sure. and mix them with the uh, whole leaves of cilantro, the whole leaves of basil, the shredded papaya. Yeah, give it a fresh. And then look. any sort of wok cham. So what's not wok cham? Pamela was asking, what would you put on a fish cake? Wok cham is perfect because it's got that tart lime juice, mm-hmm. a little bit of serrano chili, a little bit of sugar, fish sauce, uh, a little bit of fish sauce, and some uh, garlic. Maybe mm-hmm. you know, everyone is everyone is different. But uh, that, to me, with fish cakes, is really a brightener and a lovely way yeah. to, uh, you know, I think of fish cakes, okay, I'm eating healthy, I'm having a fish cake. But when you add that green papaya salad and stuff, you really are eating. Absolutely. Brighten it up. Uh-huh. Absolutely. I'm doing a, a surumi and a veal meatballs combination plate with a, a tarragon butter. And, and what? Uh, rosemary why, why would you making? Why would you be making a surimi and ter- and meatball plate? Because it's a surf and turf. Surf and turf. And it well, I mean, actually is it for a special occasion. Matches. Yeah, so it's, it's a tradition it's, in your household. No, your mother it's for made the surimi cakes uh, for- <laughs> at the, on the farm in in Western France. It's for the Wild Alaskan Pollock celebration, yearly oh, okay. celebration right. gathering. So I'm doing that today. 
So are you are you combining the surimi and the veal? I'm making them separately, but putting oh, them okay. on a same plate so you can have a bite of each. I see. And I think it, I'm not going to tell you, but I think it's delicious. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you, though. That is innovative, and Thank I you. love it, and I can't picture it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll bring you some next week. Right. Yeah, that, that would be nice. Hey, you know, we still have the surimi that uh, during seafood month, they left right. us some surimi in there. And I was starving when I came into the teach class last week, and I ate a whole package of it. What? <laughs> but I put chili crisp all over it. Ah, that would definitely yeah. dress could, it up. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No, I mean, it's, it's a great product to use for cakes. I think it's a very, and it's very inexpensive, which is the other part of, you know, like, like Pam was saying, you know, crab is 60 bucks a pound. It's like, it's not easy on Tuesday night to buy three crab cake and come out of the store spending 30 bucks for dinner when you just wanted to do an appetizer for three people or two people, you know. I, we have just, uh, you know, Seatown was based on Dungeness Crab, and we just have to take it off the menu. Yeah. Um, so I did get a really nice buy on some opilio crab, opilio right. crab, mm-hmm. and they're the Maris legs. So it's like snow crab, but a little bit smaller, and they're uh, the Maris legs, and we're going to be able to do a half a pound of, you shuck. You know, we're going to give you the crab scissors right. and a half a pound of the hot crab with butter and slaw. And don't forget our famous tater tots with crab cake seasoning <laughs> on top. Um, anyway, I, we sat down yesterday to time ourselves how long it took us to cut open uh, a half a pound of these legs. And uh, it was about a 20-minute service to get the, them all open. And it's interesting to see. We had four people do it. and We averaged 21 minutes or something like that. But everyone, just like back east where I grew up on the blue crab feed, you have your hoarders. You know, they pick all the crab and kind of tuck it next to them waiting for all the crab picking to be done. You have your people like me that eat as you go because yeah. I don't trust anyone that's not going to swoop in and steal all you my You know what? It's, it's funny because crab. we have exactly that in our house. Yeah, Kathy, exactly. Kathy will peel everything and hold yeah, everything. And, and me, I'm like eating and I'm going, you're going to eat that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Somebody sneaks in and swoops in and takes your, your shucked crab meat. Uh, anyway, so yeah, it was funny to watch everyone's little style. Even the people that had never done it before, which was, you know, she just kind of got in there. It's super fun. I'm going to crab feed fun. So we're going to have these all winter long. I bought a thousand pounds of snow crab or a pillow crab. We're going to have this all winter long. Crab that feed. sounds like fun. It I mean, that's fun. a fun. That's definitely a Seattle thing. You know, going to a crab, well, a crab feast. Why yeah, you? but typically you're shucking Dungeness, right? A little bit. Well, yeah, that's true. I guess I, I'm sure you're right. Yeah. I'm I mean, sure it's a right. crab to sit around the table and, and yeah. cut some crab is definitely part of Seattle's culture. So we're arguing right now. My team is arguing whether we have to offer a crab bib or not. Because to me, they just go into the landfill. Kathy's shaking her head absolutely because she dresses nicely. I, you know, I'm, <laughs> you I go, feel like I dress I'm wearing nicely. the crab proudly. <laughs> yeah. If you don't take home a stain or two on your shirt, it's like, what the heck? Yeah, uh, where have you been? What kind of joint did you go to? It, it just depends on who's coming for dinner. <laughs> yeah. Okay, fine. Some crab, crab bibs it is. Up next, it's time for Food for Thought Tasty Trivia. Uh, challenge brought to you each week by our Rub with Love Spice Rub and Sauce line. Looking forward to uh, having a new home for that down there at Seatown uh, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, that's when we come back on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo. I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. Chef in the chapeau. Are you going to win today, chef? 
Well, I don't know, but I definitely brought some support. You so definitely brought some support. I got my lovely wife next to me here. Kathy is with me. You're going you're gonna to help me? Yes, so just ask American questions. Oh, no, American no, no, no. Questions. Oh, no, no, no. I'm going to help you no, with no that. criteria here that you get to decide. American, is, I love when she says American questions. Yeah. I like that. Today's trivia is brought to you by Rub With Love Spice Blends, which belong in all of your pantries and are available right now uh, throughout the city and in our brand new gift pack. Uh, we have a special offer. Listeners can enter the promotion CRAB, C-R-A-B, on any order over $25 on our website, the Rub With Love website. So if you buy $25 worth of rub, we will give you a free copy of our I Love Crab Cakes cookbook. Ooh la la. Ooh, la, la. You can find Rub With Love across the country in markets like Central Markets in Texas, United Supermarkets in Texas, and AJ Stores in Phoenix and Tucson area of Arizona. Locally, you can visit us at Seatown for our whole selection, of, along with the Dahlia Bakery, because not everyone carries to everything. All right, so that's tomdouglas.com backslash shop, and put in the code CRAB to get a free crab cake book on a $25 order. All right, Pamela, tell us how to play the game, and uh, who is our contestants? We have three contestants, honored to have in the audience, Dennis Coleman. Yes, a much beloved conductor around town. You Hello. snuck in, uh, playing against Tom, and Terry is competing with his gorgeous wife, Kathy, today, so we've got stiff competition. Each contestant gets five questions, uh, and the one that gets the most wrong is the loser. Yeah, pay for shipping of our prize. And pays for shipping. Uh, to someone in the audience. <laughs> so it's a good deal this week. I did last week. I carried it from here to there. <laughs> that will happen again today. And the prize is going to be the toasted chalet mustard because it's my favorite and I reach for it constantly. And the Chinese 12 spice because you need it to roast all your vegetables. That's right. Rotoro family. Let's there, are, go. there are a few questions today about our Native American population because we miss celebrating them in November at Native American uh, Culture Month. Uh, but I'm still thinking about them, so they're included. Number one, pomegranates contain cholesterol. True or false? Sounds like a trick question to me because I, my gut would say no, but since you're asking, I'm going to say yes. So my answer is yes. False. No cholesterol <laughs> in pomegranate. I was about to come to the mic. <laughs> the main uh, traditional crops that were grown by our Native Americans uh, were often called the three sisters. What do you think those three main crops were? Corn, bean, and squash. You're amazing. That is correct. <laughs> Number three, what does the word Hanukkah mean? Rachel didn't tell us, so. Oh, man. And this is, it's, it's wonderful and kind of emotional. Surprise. Light, of, light of life or something like that? That's where I would go, but the meaning is dedication. That's a nice, that's a nice word. I know. That, that spoke to me. Uh, number four, in the English fairy tale, Jack and the Beanstalk, what did Jack trade for the five magic beans? The cow? Yeah! <laughs> uh, number five, your final chance. What kind of flour will make your cake the crumbliest? All-purpose flour, cake flour, or pastry flour? I would say all-purpose. Yep. It's cake flour. It has uh, the most soft wheat and the least amount of hard wheat. The result is lower gluten. Gluten is the protein in the flour that allows it to stretch, so less gluten, more crumble. 
All right, you go. Dennis. So what you got? Two out of five? Is that right? <clears throat> six out of five. Oh, six out of five. <laughs> we did well. Uh, number one, most Native American tribes ate a lot of meat. Almost any animal native to the region was eaten as food at times. Which of these did they not eat? Porcupines, monkeys, elephants, or snakes? They didn't eat monkeys, and they didn't eat elephants. Exactly. Or, but they might have eaten snakes and porcupines. Uh, the report said they did eat some monkeys, but no elephants. Monkeys. So he gets a point five, don't you think? I think I think uh, I think he got the point. Though. I mean, monkeys and elephants in the United States. You're the scorer. All right. So all right, number two. What is fry bread made of? Oh, I've had it. Uh, some sort of a flour. Yep, good start. Yeah, there's a natural yeast in there, I think. What else would uh, make it fluffier besides yeast? Egg? No, not egg. It sits in the, your baking section. Say again? White powder sits White in powder. your baking section. Oh, oh, something like baking soda or yeah. baking powder. Baking powder. Oh, okay, yeah. Yes. And water and fried and lard oil. You guys are never this nice to me. <laughs> no. Because you know what that is. Terry, is he a point five yes. or are you giving him the He's whole a point? point? He's a point. He got it. He got the idea. All right, he got the idea. Number three, meringue is popular as a baked topping for baked goods and as a cookie in its own right. Of, of what primarily is meringue made? Egg white. You got it. Yes. Number four, lima beans must be cooked thoroughly to allow this poison to be extracted. What poison compound do lima beans have? I haven't got a clue. <laughs> I like the look on your it's, face. It's, yeah. it's cyanide. Really? Oh, yeah. Yikes! Number five, uh, foods fit for Hanukkah are cooked in oil to celebrate the miracle that took place during the rededication of the Holy Temple. Name a popular... Hanukkah food. Latkes. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Yay! <laughs> Whoa! Four out of five. Wow. Nice job. Nice job. Thank you. Very good work. Thank you, Dennis. That took right. dedication. <laughs> oh. oh. Mr. Douglas, <laughs> in Greece, a traditional housewarming gift is a pomegranate placed under or near the home altar of the house. What does the giver of the pomegranate wish for the receiver. They wish that they knew Martha Stewart's trick to get the seats out of the pomegranate. <laughs> uh, good luck, fertility, and abundance. Oh, well, there you go. Oh, Same, so idea. Nice. Same idea. Same <laughs> idea. Number two. In the silence of the lambs, Hannibal Lecter said he ate these beans with his victim's liver and a nice Chianti. Mm -hmm. What were these beans? We just named our new dog after that. <laughs> bean. Fava bean. You got it. You name your dog Fava? Well, Pinto Bean died, and so we named the new dog Fava Bean. Excellent. Number three, nice. most cuisines have some form of stuffed dumpling where a filling is enclosed by a doughy wrapper. One popular Chinese dumpling is fried and then steamed, as its name suggests, a challenge that they can present to the cook. What are these dumplings called? Uh, Twice-cooked dumplings or potstickers. <laughs> potstickers, hooray! Uh, number four, the entire squash plant, such as the leaves, tendrils, shoots, stems and flowers, seeds and fruit, can be eaten. Absolutely. Oh, aren't you spunky today? That is true. You're on a roll. <laughs> and 
<laughs> to reiterate our support for the uh, Treehouse fundraiser tree on Cairo, yeah. mm-hmm. is this the true mission statement of Treehouse? We envision and strive to create a world where every child that has experienced foster care has the opportunities and support they need to pursue their dreams and launch successfully into adulthood. You know, it absolutely is true. And we did a little event with a bunch of uh, Treehouse kids here. And I got to say, in all the years I've been doing things, whether it's Make-A-Wish or raising money for the food bank or whatever, it was so fulfilling to be one-on-one with some of these kids and to hear them and their dreams out loud, like right there in person. So I super imagine. Good. Yeah, super good. So yes, absolutely. It is true. Four, four. so uh, we have a tie between the winners, but definitely we have we a have loser one loser today. in the house. <laughs> Actually, two. Because Actually, wife two, is yes. Next to you, so. I got help to lose. <laughs> Terry, you would you look. present the gift to Dennis Coleman, please? Uh, I will. I will. I will. I will personally deliver it. If you want to be part of the show, you can join the community on Facebook at Hot Stove Society Radio Show. You're listening to us on Cairo. The show is produced by Pamela Hinckley, sound and production by Sean McFadden, and our editor is Sean Don't Call Me Del Torre. And remember, if you miss any episode of our Hot Stove Society show on Cairo, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and happy Hanukkah.